Lord, enter into this time, Father of preparation. Lord, may you, Lord, have control. May you speak, Father. May we listen. May we have ears to hear, Lord, as the Spirit would speak to us. And Lord, may you, Father, be the center and the focus. Lord, may our attention be upon you. May we discard or set aside any interferences, Lord, anything that might hinder us from hearing your voice. Anything that should be set aside, Lord, may it be done so now. Any anger or frustration, any doubt or fear, anything, Lord, of that nature. Anything that we would think of more than you. Lord, bless us this morning. Give us your direction, your guidance. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. I ask your hand be upon our pastor, his family now, as they would return tonight. Lord, as they come, Lord, I thank you for giving them rest and time together. Lord, I ask, Father, that uh, all that you've spoken to our pastor about would be shared. Lord God, the direction, Father, of this church, this ministry, and all that it contains. Father, may it truly be according to your will and purpose for us. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. I was talking to Pastor Raw yesterday, and um, we were discussing, actually this morning, and what he wanted me to share. We were talking about a book that many of you have read, and I've read it many times. Matter of fact, I've used it as the, um, the syllabus for classes I've taught. It's that book, Spiritual Leadership. I don't know if you've read it or not. Uh, if you've taken, if you've sat under me at any time for any kind of leadership, uh, I teach it word for word, chapter upon chapter. It's not the Bible, but it has the principles that the Bible contains in regards to this leadership. How important is leadership? I tell you what, most of the time today, it's taken lightly. It's taken lightly. Too far, far too lightly. I think for two reasons. One, we forget the definition of leadership and who, when, when we assign a job to a person or we lift a person up into a position and we take it lightly. It's, well, they're just, Pastor Dan, and, and, and if it doesn't work out and I come and, and I enter into the, into your ministry because of someone that you've assigned to do a particular job or to assume a particular position and, and it didn't work out because they failed miserably for whatever reason. My first question to you is, did you think about it when you assign that person to the job? In this church we have a real large ministry. I tell you what, Pastor Raw would want to know every single leader and how they were chosen. Because that's how important it is for us to maintain integrity in ministry. Choosing our leaders. But this is a two-sided coin. It's not just... The, this book by uh, Oswald Sanders is, is two-sided. It's not just about us choosing leaders. It's also making us look at ourselves and what type of a leader we are. The leaders of this church, and you all know it, aren't in this room. We, we represent a very small portion of the leaders. What, what messes us up is when we think we are the only leaders. And we haven't properly defined who the leaders are. 
One of the biggest mistakes in this church and the reasons that many ministries have problems is people are choosing leaders just out of the need. Oh, I need somebody to take care of this. I need somebody to take care of that. Pastor Dale, they were available. Availability does not represent the call. It doesn't. You need to sit back and you need to think about who you are placing in positions of authority. Because when a person is put into a position of authority, they are a leader within your church. In the smaller churches, I wouldn't have anybody in a position of authority unless I knew who they were as a pastor. And I know we're, we're all subject to making errors, but we need to do everything that we can. I mean, we even know, need to know how they're handling the problems in their house. Every house has a problem, but if you're going to choose someone, it says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that if they can't rule their house, how can they rule within the house of the Lord? How, how can they? Not that they don't have problems in their house, because everybody has problems in their house, but how are they taking care of them? Or are they taking care of them? I wish I had a dime for every time a wife came into my office and said, Pastor Dale, you know my husband who's teaching the fourth grade. Or my wife who's teaching the second grade. Who's an usher? Who's a grid? And it's like, I feel the weight of that responsibility. Because if we have a weak link, it's not what God has told us to do. He's really told us to build up this place with strong quality leaders. It's not how smart they are or how capable we think they are, but, but what does God, what is God doing in their life? The qualities of leadership, the essentials of leadership, this is chapter 8 in the book, Spiritual Leadership. If you don't have the book, go out and buy it and read it from cover to cover. Put it on your bookcase and read it every single year, as long as you're in ministry. As I read it this morning, again, for the umpteenth time, I'm being convicted and slammed and hit with lefts and rights of conviction. Because I need to be reminded continually, and this morning will be a reminder of seven essentials. Seven essentials to leadership. It should be a checklist. Boom, boom, boom. Are they fall? Do I see this in them? It's not do I see how smart they are or how many people like them or how, how popular they've become. That doesn't have anything to do with leadership qualities. And is it, is it important? Guys, if, if Pastor Rawl, it is impossible for Pastor Rawl to know every single leader in this church. So it's our responsibility to help him. And what is a leadership position? It's not how important you think the job is that you give to that person. It's this, knowing, knowing that I am putting someone in charge of anything, of anything. If you put somebody in charge of putting paper towels in that towel holder, consider that a leadership position, please. And don't lessen it. Not one iota, don't lessen it. Because if on Sunday morning we open those doors and they go in there, and that person doesn't have the integrity and, and, and the quality of, of character to fill those because this is God's house and those are God's people and, 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 and they aren't thinking any less of filling that toilet 
paper holder or towel holder or, or toilet seat cover holder than Pastor Raw preparing his notes. I want the same urgency and the same desire and the same fervency of heart to make sure that it's done. Do you know what kind of a church would have? Now, if you don't see it, get them out. They don't, they don't really respond to the call. It's a job. And what's he so upset about? It's just toilet paper. You see the difference that would take place if in every position, not looking at what the job is, it's not just that, that I want to have good counters in the accounting department. I want them to be rounded in leadership. I want them to be well-rounded in the qualities and essentials of leadership. Or in a high school, if you're going to use somebody to help you oversee at the retreat, not just a popular person that everybody likes, but well-rounded. Or in the Bible school, well, they're a TA, well-rounded with the qualities and essentials of ministry, and not looking at the position you're putting them in if, if you have figured out they're good for it. No, but do they meet the qualifications? And if we apply these, just these seven, there are many more, but if we can uh, just begin to apply these seven essentials, I guarantee we have a different ministry in hand. And we'll go farther. I, I thought it was interesting, Donald Barnhouse, when he was alive, r r was reading Who's Who in America. 40,000 names of who's who in America. The average age was 28. These are the people that shaped and formed our country. 28 years of age. What does that tell you? It's not the old fogies like me. And here it is. If we let good leaders slip through our hands because of our incompetency, if we're putting our friends in positions of leadership rather than those well-qualified people. We can make a mistake by laying hands on someone too suddenly, can't we? Putting them in the pulpit. No, we can't do that. Biggest mistake I've ever made. I remember to this day, Pastor Raw leaves town. He tells me I'm in charge of that pulpit. Here's the people I want you to put in there. And I went outside of my borders. I wasn't a good follower. So I couldn't be a good leader. Not at that time. I didn't want to bother Pastor Raul, so I put who I wanted in the pulpit. He came back and he said, I was praying for who was ever in that pulpit, and you put someone I didn't know. Well, I want to talk to you about those seven qualities, because if, if, if we don't know, we're... Really, we're going to be ignorant regarding leadership. And I tell you, the first quality, the first essential quality that I need to, to find in a leader is this, discipline. Discipline. God gave leaders gifts and talents. I've seen so many with gifts and talents. But here's the thing. God always gives us gifts and talents. He does. But what raises them to a position of leadership is the degree that they are willing to raise themselves to. It's not just that they're a good teacher. It's that they're willing 
to bring the best to the table. So I want to look for people who are willing to bring the best to the table. Not the ones that are content to wallow and to, to, to meander and, and, and to be comfortable in the shallows, in the area or the ocean of mediocrity. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't ever settle for mediocrity. And just because they're a Christian doesn't qualify them. We all have gifts and talents. But look for those who are willing to develop those gifts and talents. They're willing to develop them. I had a guy tell me one time, Pastor Dale, why, why does Pastor Roll always use this person and that person? I ha I'm gifted. He told me, I'm gifted. I'm as called as you are. And he probably was. But his desire to develop those gifts was not apparent. He was content with having the degree. He was content with the piece of paper that said he was qualified. I did my homework. But he wasn't willing to develop it. It's not that you read so many books. It's that do you take what you read and let it lift you up? Today when we study essential qualities of leadership, are you going to go back into your offices? Are you going to think about this very first quality, discipline. Discipline, you see, discipline works in two parts. First of all, I have to be disciplined on the outside. I'll tell you, Pastor Roy, I haven't seen anybody as disciplined as that guy. Drives me crazy. His discipline is off the chart. But think about the, the greatest and best leaders. A.W. Tozer, from what I'm told, 4 o'clock in the morning, on his face in the snow, come rain or shine. I think it was um, Hudson Taylor, up at, four, or up, at, up, at, up, at, up by 5 every morning, took a cold bath. Easy to take a shower. You can dodge, when you're skinny like me, you can dodge the drops. But a bath, cold, right off the, didn't warm it, cold bath, every single morning at 5 a.m., summer and winter. That's him. I'm not, I'm not proposing we all do that. But this is how disciplined he was because it helped him. Simply because it helped wake him up. These are guys who spent more time in prayer than in study. Many days. Upon delivering the sermon of his life, Hudson Taylor was asked, how long did it take you to prepare that sermon? He said, my entire life. Because everything to him was important. It wasn't just the time he opened the book. It was the time he applied what the book said to his life. You see, that that's what separates... Those who know and those who do. And I want to know and I want to do. But I can't, if I can't get past the first step, discipline. What am I seen as? A lot of people take great pride in being known as a maverick. Oh, look at so-and-so. Look at, They don't care what anybody says. They're going to do what's right. What does that mean? 
that, that you're strong? When you're working under the leadership of this church and you don't care what anybody says, I'm going to do what's right. Number one rule. Follow, discipline means that you are able to follow those who are in authority over you. Blindly sometimes. Why? Because you trust in the authority. My first response to those people are, you need to get another job where you're the leader. Really, where you're the leader. Is that what God is telling you? Because had God wanted you to be overseer of this church, you would be. Well, it's not right. I don't care if it's right or wrong or upside down. We've got one leader here. Moses heard from God. Didn't make much sense when he got to the, to the Red Sea, did it? Did not make much sense. Didn't seem... I'm, how would you like to have all of his leaders say, Nope, it's not the right thing to do. And a lot of them were saying that. No discipline begins with me being able to die to myself. To, to follow and to be a good follower. Before we can conquer the world, we first have to learn how to conquer ourselves. You understand? Before we can conquer the world, if I can't do what I'm told to do, It doesn't change your integrity if you did what you were told to do and the outcome is wrong or the outcome is failure. Why? Because Paul the Apostle had many failures in his life. He learned to be content in the failures and content in the successes because he knew he was being led by God. God doesn't always take us through pleasant pastures. Sometimes He takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. You can't be led by our eyes. You can't be led by your emotions. And you can't be led, as long as you're not the, the one at the top, you can't be led by what you think is right. First, discipline the outside. I'll tell you what, and when someone isn't willing to follow the authority, generally they are not disciplined in their personal life either. Trust that. I've seen many come and go, brilliant guys, who just cut, kicked and beat against the goads. And they were quality teachers off the chart academically. Brilliant. And when they left here, in most cases, that's as far as they got. Because they were unable to be disciplined on the outside. Signs of a disciplined leader. One, will without... How do I know they're disciplined? How do I know? 
Here's the signs. How do I know they, they're going to, 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 to take care of business? They're going to take, I can depend on them, I can trust on them. Here's five signs. One, he will, or she will, without reluctance, undertake the unpleasant tasks that others avoid. You can disagree, but I'll tell you what. I don't know. Uh, I, I I know. I know guys. I can pick up the phone. I can call and say, "Meet me here at 3 a.m." Okay, that's all I hear. Okay. I know who I can call, and I know those who I hate to call because it's time to to tear down the stage. Where's Robert? Right, Robert. I can, get, I can tell Robert, call the whole staff, and he's looking at me. Now, Robert and I go way back, and I know what he's thinking. He's say, saying, Dale, why don't you just let me call the ones that want to be there? Because the others get in the way. I, 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 don't, I, I don't intend on threatening anybody here, because here's an opportunity to have a change of heart. If we don't see these things, then we shouldn't have people in leadership positions. Secondly, he will do what others are avoiding because there is no public applause. Nobody, whoa, everybody is willing to get up in here and teach. Sunday morning, never had a problem finding someone willing to get up there and teach. Never had a problem. And I've even had guys, hey, Pastor Dale, use me. Use me. Use me. Use, use me to lead that group going over here, going over there. And I, yeah, because you like to be liked. That'll make a lot of people in the church know who you are and put their arms around you. And I know who you are. You're the ones that are always buttering up to them. Buttering up to the ones with money, buttering up to the ones with influence, buttering up to those who can make you known. Not a leader. Can't be a leader. You pick and choose whom you'll serve. Number three. This person does not shrink from difficult situations or retreat from hard-edged people. A good leader can work with everybody. He's not backstepping because someone is mean to him. And he doesn't avoid them. I love everybody on staff. I really do. Some are harder to work with than others. But the day that I come in and can't address that person or can't tell them what to do, then I am the problem. I am the problem. Because I'll avoid them as a matter of convenience. Can't do that, people. If they are a matter of convenience, they need to be addressed. They need to think about it. And I tell you, if there's anybody in this room who's got a hard time with the other person, maybe it's a, a good time to do what Pastor Romaine would always say. Shut up, sit down, and listen. Listen right now. We must do this. We must work together. We must be willing to work together. If we're not willing, to, if you're not willing to work with one person in this because of what your opinion is of them, you shouldn't even be in ministry. Doesn't mean that you have to love them or embrace them or, 
or lift them up. No, but we're working together. There are different personalities. There are diverse types of people in this room. I wish everybody was here. Everybody's not here this morning. You need to have a lesson on unity and the, and the object of unity. Fourthly, he doesn't procrastinate. Doesn't, doesn't put it off for tomorrow because it's easy. He prayerfully confronts even the most difficult tasks. And I tell you what, the best thing to do in ministry when you're given the hardest job to do isn't to think about how hard it's going to do. It's like jumping into a, a cold river or a cold lake or a cold pool. You know, you've seen the little kids that go over there and they put their toe in there. Ooh, they come back. Now they know they're going in. they got to go in. I've told the story many times of how my father was the meanest man on earth. And in, and in Yosemite Valley, when that water was 30 degrees cold, it was melted snow. He always, every summer, because that's the only place we ever went on vacation, get me up at 6 a.m. because he didn't want a lot of people around, go down to the river, the Merced River, and he would jump in. He would just jump in. He'd jump in, he'd come to the, he'd find a nice, calm area for him to jump. He'd jump in, and his, I'd just watch his head pop up. I was five, five years old. And he, it's cold. He'd start soaping himself down, getting real clean. And then the next thing I knew, and I'm just staring at him. Come on in, son. I'm five, six, seven. I couldn't even swim. I was going to jump in. He's trying to teach me something. That lesson I learned early in life. Do what you're told to do. Even if it doesn't make sense. I'd go over and put my toe in it like a five-year-old. Well, I want to see how cold it is. He'd go, don't do that, I'll spank you. And he did. Don't do that, I'll spank you. And I'm thinking, how fast am I going to run to my mom who's asleep in that, in that tent and tell her what my daddy's doing? How quick I'm going to tell my, my mom, because my mom would never put up with this. And she probably wouldn't. That's why he had to do what, what he felt was right. Don't put your toe in, son, because I'll spank you. Just jump in. He knew that I'd get used to it in a hurry. You turn numb, actually. But to this day, I can jump in like that, and I generally do. Because it is cold for a moment. And you've got you to do it. You, it's your job. I think that's how I became... How God molded and shaped the talents. Because I don't have many. I really don't. But I'm willing to dive in. I don't care whatever Pastor Roll tells me to do. And most of you know it. I'll dive in with both feet. Don't ha I'm not even thinking about whether I agree, it, agree with it or not. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Thoughts might run through my mind. But I'm just going to dive in. I'm going to get it done. When he tells me to do something, I do it. usually I'll pick up the phone and do it. The most difficult, I want to do it now. Get it done. Don't waste time. Why? The longer you wait, the harder it becomes. Satan will use it to confuse you. Worst of all, to make you think you know better. Well, lastly, 
sign of a disciplined leader. He is able to administer rebuke evenly and kindly when it is necessary. He's disciplined. He doesn't get too mad, and he doesn't take it too lightly. He knows that person. He has a kindred heart. He knows they are a born-again believer. They are a child of God. The Lord loves them, and the Lord is watching me how I am rebuking him. He takes that seriously, too. He is disciplined not to scream, to, to, to be mean, to be too hard, and, and, and to be off the chart. Some, I, I know macho people that like to just, oh, I kicked his butt today. You did what? That's a, what do you think the Father in Heaven is thinking about what you did to one of his, the least of his? Oh, it was so-and-so, Dale. That definitely is the least of his. A disciplined leader knows how to discipline himself. The last thing I want you to remember about discipline is this. If I choose my leaders carefully, and I see they are not only disciplined on the outside, they're disciplined on the inside. They've taken care of business, and it shows on the outside. They've taken care of business, and it shows on the inside. They're doing what they... They're, they're doing these five things continually. That means they, their life is truly disciplined on the inside. Then they are an example to others. And because they are an example to others, I will have better leaders. If all of us take this seriously, we will produce better leaders. Because we're going to hold them accountable. But not only that, they're going to see you and they'll emulate you. I hate it when I see some jerk of a staff person turn other little people into jerks just like themselves. They will follow you because they're dumb sheep. Next, number two, second essential quality of leadership, vision. Those who have most powerfully influenced this ministry, this church, Costa Mesa, Calvary Chapel, your church, are people who have had vision. Check this. What is vision? Vision is simply this. Somebody with vision has the ability to see more deeply than others. Further than others. There was one gentleman that the book, sp the book spoke of. His name was Douglas Taylor, missionary to Egypt. He was often criticized for only looking at the end result. Only looking at the end result. That's all he ever talked about was how great it was going to be when we finished the job. He, he was goal-oriented. He had vision to see the goal. Much like our Christian life. Why do you do what's right every single morning when sinning is much more fun? Why? I want to get to heaven. The only, thing that stops, the only thing that stops me from doing what I want to do is this. Obedience to God is important in heaven. Paul said, I ran the good race, I fought the good fights, I'm looking forward to the goal that's ahead of me. I want the crown. And I don't think we'll be walking around literally with these crowns, but these crowns represent the things I've done on this earth, whether they be good or bad. And so I'm looking forward to that. 
I get by my most difficult times. Why? Because I look forward. I want to see. I want to ha- the, the vision I have of heaven is incredible. It keeps me on my toes and it keeps me on the right path. But do you have vision? Do you have vision for what's in front of you? Have you even bothered to set a goal? Teach this to your leaders. Teach it to them. To set individual goals. When we do an event here, when we just got through with exit, I wasn't so directly involved, but I apply that same thing to exit as I do to every Somebody Loves You crusade. All I'm thinking about are the people when they walk up and do this. That's all I'm thinking about. Everything else is secondary to that. Why? Because I'm too likely, if I get my eyes off of the, the, the finished, if, I, if my eyes aren't ahead of everybody else's, then I'm going to get caught up on what, what is taking place right in front of me. And that, those are the circumstances. And, and I can get weighed down by the circumstances that keep me from achieving and accomplishing the goal that is set before me. But, but I can tell when someone has no goal. I can tell when someone has no goal. I can tell when we're out there in the field. I can tell when I, when I have to go over and, and, and I'm watching people. And I, if you ever see me at an event, I'll go walking over to somebody. And, you know, and I'm, I may not be picking up the chairs, but if you've been around here long enough, you know I did. Now my job is to make sure everybody else does. And if i got my eyes focused upon one thing, I can't focus on the end result. When I go over there, I'm, making, I'm watching everything. I'm watching the canopies go up. I'm watching the stage go up. My eyes are on uh, people that were hired to do the job. And, and I may look like a buffoon, but I'm walking and I'm talking to myself. And all I think of is people doing this. Is it going to happen? That's what I want to see happen. That inspires me. That inspires me. That inspires me to, to rebuke when I have to rebuke. That inspires me to sign the checks when I'm not agreeing with the check. It, it inspires me to do that. Why? Because I know what's going to take place. You need vision. You need vision. If you have no vision, you're going to perish in this ministry absolutely for sure. I don't even know how you can get anywhere if you don't have a goal. If you haven't set the goal, then where are you headed? And you'll know your leaders if they have no goal. In children's ministry, in high school ministry, in college ministry, what are they preparing to do when you've placed them into a position of leadership? What if they didn't know what they were going to do in accounting when they got here? But what if they did? You know people that just wander the hallways... What if everybody had the vision when they walked in here of making this a better place? Well, the third, third essential, wisdom. Wisdom. Are you praying for wisdom? Paul prayed for wisdom. He prayed for wisdom for the Ephesian church. Lord, that they might know, that they might have the knowledge. What? The knowledge of what? What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing God. Intelligence is knowing things. Applying reason. That's intelligence. That's smart people. Wisdom is knowing God. And being able to discern the need. Not just acting like you do. Wisdom. How do I get it? I know men who are intellectually bright 
but in regards to wisdom, they have none. They can tell you how to interpret the Bible. But when someone comes in with a broken heart and they're crying, it's like, where's Pastor Dale? Where's Pastor Lonnie? Because that's what they do. And this is what I do. No, I don't think so. If that's the case, then we've chosen our leaders poorly. Our, our leaders should be attaining to wisdom, to know God. And you'll see it, you'll recognize it, you'll know. It's not that they're always right, but it's the reaction to problems. It, it's it's the, the, the information that comes out of them. It's, it's when a problem is chaotic and they're walking in and they're saying, hey, maybe we just need to do it. Wise. Beyond words. Well, the fourth thing. They know how to make a decision. They're not afraid to make a decision and they make their decisions pretty fast. And the decisions are clear. And it's a mark of a good leader. You may be visionary and able to see, but if you can't make a decision, it doesn't do you any good. Now this person that is able to make a decision also has this quality. He never looks back. When I make a decision or when you make a decision, if you're in a place of leadership, understand this. You're not judged by success and failure. You're going to be judged by your ability to make a decision and by those around you. Not everything the apostles did was right. Not everything that we do is right. But if you waver between two points, I won't follow you. And I probably won't let you be a leader here. Make a decision. Pray about it. Make a decision. And move forward. If you're under good leadership, you'll be allowed to make a mistake. He never looks back or calculates an escape strategy if things turn sour, number one. He's not backtracking. If he made a decision, he's moving forward with it. Secondly, if you make a decision and it doesn't turn out right, don't look for someone to blame. That's a quality that seems to permeate this building. Pastor Dale, wouldn't me. Or, you know how it goes, Dale. He, so, you know, if, you're, if you were in charge, or if it's your responsibility, what I admire most, is that a good leader assumes responsibility. If you're a good leader, you won't be fired for making a mistake or making a bad decision. You will be let go for making no decision or unable to make a decision. Fifthly, a leader is courageous. Morally courageous and physically courageous at times. Morally courageous, more important, because I am in that position. God has given you that position to lead others or to be a representation of this church in whatever you do. And so I'm going to be here on time. And I'm going to do the hard things. And it doesn't matter how hard it gets on me. I am going to be, I'm going to do it because that is what I'm supposed to do. 
The strongest people I've known in ministry haven't necessarily been the tallest or the physically strongest. They're the ones that nothing can stop them. They're tenacious. Tenacious. And you know who they are. They're not looking at the clock. They're not worried about the difficulties. The changes. They're not focused on the bad things. They're surrounded sometimes by negativity. And there they are. Courageous. Standing tall. Sixthly. Humility. Humility must be present. If it isn't present, we've got a serious problem. Since Christ gave us that command to take on the lowly role of what? The servant. Not to be the greatest, but what? To be the least. And in being the least, I become the greatest. Humility to one, McLaren said, was not simply to think less of yourself than others, but to think nothing of yourself. When you regard humility and you look at others and compare yourself to them, you're making a huge mistake. Because they aren't the standard for humility. To reach the standard for humility, one must look in the mirror until you see Christ. That's what Paul said. Behold before a mirror. And that means stay there. Don't move. Who do you see? Who do you see? I'm almost done, but who do you see when you go to the mirror? I'm in charge. I got people under me. You know, isn't it interesting? When Paul the Apostle got saved, how he called himself the chief of all sinners. And at the end of his life, he could not believe the mercies of God who had been bestowed upon the lowest of all of God's creations, him. That's basically the way he felt. That's how Paul felt. As he learned more, read more, prayed more, served more, he was, and, and, and I tell you, this happens to every person that I know that has remained faithful in ministry. What becomes more and more apparent to them as opposed to someone who is just saved, is the length and width and depth of the love of God upon a piece of dirt such as me. I pray you get there. You realize what you really are and the extent of His love. I heard Chuck say it this morning, coming in, listening to... 107, and Chuck said, yeah, I can't, I still can't sometimes comprehend the goodness of God's love, forgiveness, and mercy for me. Billy Graham, Billy Graham being interviewed by Suzanne, I can't remember her last name anymore, a while back. She said, I heard your... You're anxious to die. He says, well, not really anxious to die, but 
I'm looking forward to going to heaven. And she said, why? You've done so much here on earth and it's so, been so good for you. You have this perfect record. And, and I never forget his answer. She goes, what do you expect to see in heaven? Or what do you expect to experience in heaven? He said, I really don't know. He said, I'm just focused on when I get there that I would hear, enter in, thou good and faithful service. He said, I'm not sure I'll hear that. And he meant it. What happened? I don't think that would have been his response when he first got saved. I don't know if I'll hear that. I know I'll get in, but I don't know if I'll hear, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Because the things he did wrong probably got magnified. When you start doing things right, when you start doing things right, the things that you do wrong just get magnified. It's like a, a little grain of a, a little grain of dirt in a dirt patch won't be noticed. But if you take a jar of salt and you put that grain of dirt in there, you spot it real fast. And the more you start doing right, the cleaner you get. And those little things that are holding you down become more and more evident. Very important to pay attention. Lastly, and the final quality that is an essential, integrity and sincerity. Honesty. As opposed to phoniness. As opposed to players and posers and those who are there to be seen or for the wrong reason. Paul, the apostle, when, we've read, when we read of him, speaks openly and boldly. You, you read him and it's incredible because he, tells, he talks about how he messed up. Nobody talks about that these days. They only talk about what they've accomplished. Let us be transparent. In 1 Timothy 3, it says, if we can't do what's right away from this place, then we're really only playing. And we'll fail as leaders. Whatever you are here, be at home. And if you pretend to pray here, I know you're pretending to pray at home. If whatever you do here, do all the time. Integrity and sincerity last. Other things are exposed over a period of time. And the beautiful thing is, they are always exposed. It's a time of self-examination, a time to reflect on what we're doing here. If you haven't read the book, I encourage you to read it. If you're in a position to teach young leaders, you get that book out, make it required reading. Teach from it. It's a good book. And it'll point you to the Bible 100% of the time. I think it is the greatest book written, other than the Bible, 
the greatest book written on leadership and the importance for us to choose the right leaders and to look and see what kind of a leader are we. Let's pray. Father God, I ask your hand be upon us now, Father, that as we leave this place, Father, we, we would recognize the importance of being a good leader and choosing good leaders. For this is your house. It represents you. And if we choose wrongly, how it ultimately affects your sheep. Help us, Lord, to choose rightly. Teach us, Lord, to be humble. To not desire to be first. Lord, and to resist. Father, all things that would lead us away from you and why we're here and what we're doing. We love you and we praise you and we thank you and we give you the glory, the honor as we ask these things in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Now I do have to meet with, um, we were going to have a meeting, you should have got the... Um,